Welcome to the Backstage Stories of Women on Stage, a podcast by Women on Stage recorded live. Let's go backstage and amplify the voices of leading women in tech from all across the globe. Get inspired and learn something new. Because if you can see it, you can be it. Join us. Visit womenonstage.net. Hi, everybody. This is Moan Weber. I'm the CEO and founder of Women on Stage. And you're, listening, and you're listening to the Backstage Podcast, where we amplify the voices of leading women on, in tech. And for those of you who don't know us, Women on Stage is a global community platform to showcase, book, and train women professional speakers for any tech event, conference, meetup, or, when, or webinar. And now, podcast as well. And today we'll be hosting Sharon uh, Revad-Zitzman um, to discuss the power of tech communities. Hi, Sharon. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. That was such an inspiring opening. I felt uh, really uh, empowered. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So uh, uh, thank you. So we're looking to, to be empowered by you. And um, Sharon is a DevRel professional. She has extensive experience building and maintaining successful communities um, in the Dev mainly in the DevOps and, and cloud realm. And today she will be she will share her tips on why you should join a tech community, how to choose the right ones and how to make the best out of it. Um, even, if, even if it means starting your own. And so if you're looking uh, for your home in the tech community, stay right here with us today. And thank you for joining us, uh, Sharon. I'm so happy that it's finally uh, that it's finally happening. Oh, of course, I was uh, privileged and honored to be invited to your podcast. I've been watching you grow this community from the side, and I think you've done such a tremendous job. You can teach all of us how to build tech communities. You don't need me. <laughs> sure, I do. Sure, I do. So um, that's why you're here. So I I, I actually wanted to. To, to hear a little a little bit more about you can you just tell tell us a little bit about your background um, anything you want to share sure um, so this is gonna be the DevOps uh, Israel 10 year anniversary their mega event or conference which means that I've been doing this for 10 plus years um, it uh, never ceases to amaze me, like how how fast it goes by and all all of that we've achieved over these years. But if we if we go back and we uh, kind of think about how it all started, so it's really funny. My career actually started in a completely different sector. I was in the nonprofit sector, and when I moved to Israel, I decided I, I wanted to do things that were like kind of a little bit more, you know, for the people. But after some time, I realized I also um, needed to make a salary. <laughs> so I decided to move into tech. And I was kind of missing that something that drives my soul. And that's how I kind of made it into the kind of the community world. Um, I joined a company called Gigaspaces where they were launching um, a then very like kind of novel open source cloud product. Um, and we needed to build a developer community around this product. Um, and all of those things around rallying kind of people around a joint purpose and a cause for problem solving, for knowledge sharing, for all of these things that you build these tech communities for was kind of what drove our community. And that's where I actually got started at Cloudify. I give them all of the you know credit for allowing me as part of my day job to not only build the Cloudify open source developer community, but as a byproduct of that, 
some of the bigger communities in Israel, the DevOps uh, community in Israel and the cloud native and open source communities in Israel. They were kickstarted there. And then when I moved on, they moved on with me. And after I left Cloudify, I understood the part I enjoyed most about that job was actually building that developer community. I went on to do developer relations, which was How a completely long was different that? path. How long ago I, was that? So it was quite some time ago <laughs> at this point. I was at Cloudify for about seven and a half years. And then I moved on to be the head of developer relations at AppsFlyer for uh, a year and a half. And then at Sneak. And then recently I decided to kickstart my own company called RTFM. Please always read the manual, <laughs> which does <laughs> developer relations as a service, uh, which takes all of that experience that I, I, you know, I gained over the years from Cloudify through, um, through the many other companies that I worked at in order to help growing companies that are developer first to build um, their DevRel strategy. So um, it's exciting. It's fun. Fun times. It, it's really, <laughs> really, really exciting. Can you share a little bit about maybe the, what there are people who, who, who don't know what DevRel actually means and what does it, what does it entail? It's still an area that's still forming and some of it is still kind of, uh, you know, being like all kinds of... Uh, of, of opinions on, on what DevRel actually is, but this is my take on it and you can uh, think about it differently. I think that DevRel is, um, is, uh, is the flip side of product marketing, it's technical product marketing. So if, to in, if in product marketing, you're trying to um, you know, make uh, a business con consumer understand what your product is and, and want to kind of consume it, in uh, DevRel, you're trying to enable a technology consumer to consume a product. And there are subsets of DevRel as I see them and different domain expertise in, in DevRel. Um, DevRel as a practice is kind of a go-wide practice. You kind of need to, you know, tap into many different layers of where um, your users are like existing and give them the help they need to succeed. So there's the community um, and kind of, and the more kind of technical storytelling around uh, DevRel, which is my area of expertise, technical content, examples, tutorials, things like that, and also building the communities and the events and all of the things related to actually getting your story out there. There's the developer experience side of developer relations, which is people, usually an engineer that helps kind of build the whole wrapping around a developer tool or a developer facing product, anything around the documentation, again, the technical examples, uh, making sure that the experience of adopting the product is really, really seamless and great. What John O. Bacon calls mean time to hello world, make that as short as possible, make it as seamless as possible, enable people to succeed with the tooling around the product. And then there's also the developer advocacy side of it, which is the domain expertise, the go deep which means that there are people that are real experts in that specific technology. And it's almost like, I liken it to almost like a solution engineer for a developer product, but, but usually pre-sale in the sense of helping users or consumers succeed before they adopt the product. It's usually product-led growth products where obviously it's experiential. People can use the product even before they're paying customers. And there in that area, the developer advocate enables these users to succeed. So developer relations is a very, very wide realm of, uh, of skills. Uh, some are overlapping. Some, you have, some DevRels have multiple skills. Some are focused on one specific area. But it's extremely intriguing. And the fun part is really that, that community aspect where you actually get in, to tap into your users really early and get that feedback and enable your product to grow and succeed as a byproduct of the actual users. So I like that a lot about it.
that's so that's so interesting you know i um i think that it's also like the 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 whole thing you said about coming from the nonprofit world and learning how to to build a community and use the 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 developers community um and and using the those insights that you got back then i i actually i can really relate to that i think uh a lot of the work i do with women on stage is coming from the same like it's coming from the same um little piece little, little place in my heart that that does this connection i think uh uh i think it comes to um we see it like on diversity issues um so And, and that's actually one of the things that we, we wanted to, to ask you today. So, okay. So um, we talked about how you, you first started to, to go into the tech communities. And I, I want to, to learn a little bit about, um, like, if, I, if I'm looking to search for, like, new communi communities and I... I just started my first job in the tech world. I don't know where to start, or maybe I, I've been around for quite some time, but still, I, 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 the, the tech communities, they weren't always with us. I remember where, when I first got into tech, there was no such thing. I mean, I was alone. I was alone at school. I was alone uh, in most of the first years um actually i was alone in most of my career but there were no communities that that concept was re is relatively new so could you share a little bit about that yes of course so that's one of the things 10 years ago when i got started in this i really felt like the exact same way like okay who do we turn to who do we talk to about building this product who are our users What are their pains? What are their challenges? And, and these are the types of things that we wanted to tap into firsthand from actual users. And, I, and our DevOps community, when we first kickstarted at our first event, we had 200 people. Our last DevOps Days, Tel Aviv, had 1,500 unique attendees. So wow. that's, it grew significantly over time, and I can agree 100%. And even then, like 10 years ago, there, were, so there was social media, there was all of those things, but It wasn't as widely adopted as it is today. Now it's like in our veins, right? Social media. So I would say that those that are looking to, you know, join communities, first of all, one thing I have to, what I think, I mean, this is my personal um, experience. Some people might have experienced it differently, but, um, but I really do feel in the kind of, in the soft, uh, Apache Software Foundation mantra that most tech communities are open, welcoming, friendly, and kind. And those are the things that you really need in order to drive a good community. You need the people there to be welcoming. You need them to be patient, kind to new uh, uh, members. And I, I can say that today, when we first got started, me and you, and, and I might look younger than I am, but I'm quite older <laughs> than I am, than I look. Um, uh, there really wasn't, there weren't that many communities, but now almost any technology has, or a, a technology or like a widely adopted or, you know, one that people really like and adore uh, has thriving communities for the most part. If it's a programming language, if it's a technology stack, if it's a certain tool, if it's an open source tool, almost any of them have um, communities that you can join. There are also communities that cross several domains. So if we take like um, DevOps, 
and cloud native and all of these communities, many of them um, are comprised of many different technologies. So if those are the stacks and the areas that interest you, those are also excellent communities. And when I got started with DevOps Days Tel Aviv, I think that there was a handful of cities around the globe that did DevOps days. Now there's like, I think 50 or 60 plus cities. Wow. Today I'm already on global core. <laughs> then I was just like organizing only Tel Aviv. But yeah, it's grown significantly. So there are all, there are so many meetups and and conferences. And, you know, really there's this really thriving global community of, of, of tech that if you go on to meetup.com, you can find them. If you go on to devopsdays.org, you can look for your local city. And there are so many of them. There's a good chance that there's at least one that's pretty close to you. Um, KubeCon has uh, KCD days these days, KubeCon, uh, Kubernetes community days. So mm -hmm. the uh, cloud native community is interesting to you. AWS has summits in many cities around the globe. So just depending on which technology is interesting to you, the Python community has thriving PyCons, B-Sides, which is the security community. And there are really an endless number of technology communities and very many of them have local kind of chapters. So definitely if there's a certain topic that interests you, try and Google and search for it. And, and you can not only participate in your community and that's the first step, but maybe one day you'll kind of evolve and you'll actually want to take a more meaningful uh, part. And I can tell you that at least from our community, we are always happy to receive more volunteers and people that want to take an active and meaningful part. Because like I always say, communities are chop wood and carry water. It's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of effort that needs to go into driving them. And the people that help make that happen are really what make community possible. I, I actually want to ask about that. Um, what makes a good community? I mean, from, from my perspective, it sounds like you talk about um, the community as a hub for events, for conferences, for meetups, somewhere where you can share knowledge with other people. But I think it's more than that in, in many cases. And I think, um, I think mainly for the, like, for women developers or for like, um, I'm, I've, I've, I'm a member of like, I don't know, <laughs> I think more than 50 different, uh, women communities, um, on social media and not all of those have events. Sometimes I join one of those. I don't know if I want to ask something and if I, if I want to get advice or if I want to see if I'm not the only one who's experience, who's experiencing something. Um, sometimes I just want to see what other people uh, are, are doing. So, so how do you describe a community and how do you describe a good one? Okay, that's, that's a great question. So first of all, a community um, is really any place that people willingly choose to congregate regularly around a certain topic. And it can be events, it can be forums, it can be, you know, whatever kind of medium that drives this community. And I also often, when I, when I talk about community, I say, when I, I talk about like our DevOps community, I say, it's not, it's not one day a year. Our community is not one day a year. And in order exactly. to fulfill that vision, um, everybody consumes information and kind of community in a different way. And so that's the chop wood and carry water part, right? So mm -hmm. that's why we also have a discord and we have a WhatsApp and we have a telegram and we have a newsletter and we have a website and we, and we have all of these different places that end up meet a group and a conference and all of these things in order for people to be able 
to consume, the information that they need, tap in to other community people when they want to and have the place in order to leverage kind of this this joint kind of, uh, you know, human capital that, that come together and rally around this certain cause. But when you ask that question, um, it's very interesting because once upon a time, I wrote this post called The Unquantifiable Heart and Soul of Community. And I really do think <laughs> that there is this element, this added sounds element, great. this added element of heart and soul that's really, really hard to quantify. Like people, like I, I like uh, Philip Kren, a developer advocate at um, Elastic. He wants to talk at um, one of our events. And he said, like, if you're quantifying DevRel and leads, you're a marketing organization. If you're quantifying it in revenue or you're a sales organization, DevRel is about reach, growth and uh, awareness and other and other less, you know, kind of hard metrics. Um, and and I can really I really relate to that in, in the same in the context of, of community as well. Community. Um, what makes a good community? It's not necessarily the numbers. It's not necessarily it's it's how committed people are and engaged people are in mm -hmm. order to come. I mean, you can have a very high quality community of 20 people that regularly come out to your events and you share really, really interesting, um, you know, topics, you, you share knowledge, you, you problem solve together and, and you achieve um, shared goals. It doesn't have to be thousands of people in order to quantify a good community. Right. Um, and so the things that make a good community, um, great or a community great is that that desire that people want to keep coming back right we call it the law of mobility if people you know want to keep coming and joining and being a part of it then that's a good community and another part of it is also that that kindness that willingness that that i was talking about that apache mm -hmm. software foundation sentiment and part of that as a woman in a community right so if we're talking about women in communities is creating that safe space for women to feel that they can be an active role in a community that you are welcoming, that you're friendly, that you're patient, and when necessary, you enforce a code of conduct. Communities that enforce their code of conduct are the communities that you want to be a part of. Communities that do not enforce their code of conduct, you should be wary of, because women do need to feel that they are in a safe space, and you need to feel that you will not be, you know, harassed or any other, you know, kind of uncomfortable thing happened to you within the community. You need to know that you're uh, entering community and many times tech communities are not significantly women heavy, right? As I, I want to say that in the, as the, you got to be honest about it. You, some, I've gone to events where I could count on one hand the number of women in the room. And there is something a little bit like kind of uncomfortable. And you, I'm not sure if you did ask me this, but I feel like that was the other half of the question is, so why, why Go ahead. Do, why do we need women communities? Um, right. And I think I think that they're very important for that safety, for that psychological safety, right? Mm -hmm. I think many times when women are just kind of getting into a certain kind kind of domain or discipline, they want to go to a place where they will feel welcome, that they will feel listened to, that people there will have empathy, that they'll feel like they can ask any stupid question. And the people that will um, share knowledge with them will not be judging them. And I think um, exactly. w women to women spaces are um, are sometimes a lot more psychologically safe. I've seen this many, many times where I've mm -hmm. seen women get on stage um, at conferences and men sit back like this and are waiting to hear what the woman has to say. And then they try to ask them really, really um 
difficult and obnoxious questions at the end. I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen multiple times. It and happens I've, to me. <laughs> so that is a thing that happens. Uh, and I think that that a good way for, for women who want to start joining tech communities to do so safely and easily and kind of in a way that kind of empowers them is to start with women communities. I agree. Um, and maybe that can help them kind of segue into the greater, more global, no, not women only communities where they actually feel now they've gained a little bit more experience or they kind of know how it works, that they'll feel a little bit more, you know, in, like integral into the community and, and not feel like uncomfortable or, um, but so I guess that to me, like, I really, I love, first of all, I also love being a part of women communities because it inspires me. I like to, I like to see successful women and learn from successful women. I've never been in a community of women where the women just didn't lift each other up. 10,000. That's so true. Feet. That's so true. And that's, so I, I, and that's what I love. And that for me is also the positive side. And I, I kind of feel like I, I was more focusing on the negative sides of it, but the positive sides is that strong women lift each other up. And that's, there's just something amazing about that, that energy. I, I, that's like, I, I totally agree. That's, that's a major, major part of our work at Women on Stage. That's what, uh, that's what we believe in. And I, we've seen it in, in, uh, in our courses in where we train women speakers. Um, I, I trained both like, um, gender mixed, uh, groups and women only groups and the women just, they don't speak at, uh, they hardly speak they hardly speak up at uh, at the mixed gendered groups um and for women only spaces they they speak up they ask questions they participate and i think it well i think that's really a shame i mean i i'm i'm part of it i know it i see it all happening happening all the time but it has it also has its down its downsides because sometimes sometimes um you you keep seeing those um mixed gender uh communities and women get used to speak only in uh in front of other women and it's like they don't they don't implement the stuff that they learn in the do you agree? Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. And one of the things I have started to do, uh, and also for myself, like, okay, so I, I agree with you 100%. I myself am a person who don't, who doesn't like to get on stage, surprisingly. I know it doesn't, everybody thinks otherwise, but I do it because I feel like I do want to be that role model for the people mm -hmm. that, you know, are thinking about it and want to do it. It's not my comfort zone. And I do it in order to help and kind of convince other women to, to take that step. Because I think the more women we see on stage, the more, uh, you know, the more they'll be um, a real and integral part of our community and people will, you know, replicate them. Younger women will replicate them and want to be like them and know that this is a community that they are, um, they are a natural fit for, a native part of. Um, and if mm -hmm. you don't have people that are like you in a community, you don't feel like you, you should be in that community. And I think the more women we see on, and, and so that's why I think you need to be very, very intentional about it. And um, in that respect, um, there's always that, um, 
people will always say to you, well, I don't want to compromise the content for diversity. And I said, I will never oh. compromise the content for diversity, but I will find you the smartest women there are. And I will do the speech and I will make, and, and I will like convince them um, with all of the right reasons of why they should um, take this opportunity and get on stage. And I'm very intentional of um, in being very inclusive and, 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 you know, having a very diverse um, agenda in order, like when at my conferences or my events, and I, I'm very intentional of ensuring that there's diversity in all of the events that we lead in order for women to know that this is the space for them and they are a native part of our community. Um, and I think that other communities need to be equally as intentional about how they include less heard voices. And it doesn't necessarily have to be women, it can be people of color, it can be, it can be anyone, Definitely. right? Um, mm -hmm. Transgender, it can be, you know, it can be Definitely. anyone who fe whose voices need to be elevated so that those communities feel that they are a native part of your community. I, I totally agree. I really hate that excuse of, well, we've tried, we couldn't find anyone. Or, no, I asked, I asked her and she said no. She said she doesn't know how to do it. She's not an expert on anything. Uh, she doesn't have anything to talk about. Well, we've heard those excuses like hundreds of times. And I, and I, I, I can say that when we start telling them, that we believe that they do have something interesting to say. And if, if they tell us their story and our eyes lit up, then suddenly they feel like they can do it. And so it's not like they don't want to do it. They, they feel they're scared. They feel they're anxious about it. That's, that's fine. I'm always anxious about it. And I still do it because I know it's important. And that's what I, I want to do for others as well. So I, you know, I, I, I think um, I, I should say that me and you, we know for like a few years back and we shared the passion for, uh, I, I remember it was, uh, we met at a conference after you spoke about fighting the, the imposter syndrome. All women have imposter syndrome. All women, all, all women in tech um, in may, tech. mainly have imposter syndrome. That's men have it too, um, but not. I, I don't think it's uh, it's uh, it's as uh, intimidating as uh, as for women. So um, before we we wrap up, um, I just want to ask you. Um, if like if I'm working on something new or if I start a new job and I I looked for like uh, um, I looked for communities and I couldn't find anything so should I start something new should I join some people how do I how do I get started how do I even get started with that it's, okay. you said it's really hard so <laughs> no no so first and foremost it's just a matter of how you quantify success is what I said to, to begin with and then if you're just looking for a few like-minded peers to share knowledge with and to, you know, problem solve or even to get excited about a technology with and things like that, if that's enough for you and you don't feel like you have that in an existing community, I would say go right ahead and kickstart your own community. It's not that hard if you can rally those, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20 people um, around it. Um, 
cause that matters to you. I can even tell you the Devrel Israel community is not a huge community, but it's a very tight knit community um, of, you know, between 50 and 100 professionals where every single event, I feel like I learn something new from the exceptional people that we have in this community. It doesn't have to be hundreds, um, but just enough people that, you know, want to learn from each other is, is a great place to start. That said, I will say that don't go into community lightly. Community is a commitment. It's something that you need to drive over time. It's that chop wood and carry water. A community does not drive itself. Oftentimes at companies, they think that they're just going to press launch kind of like code. The deployment mm -hmm. is the easy part, right? The maintenance is the hard part, right? Deployed to production and, that, <laughs> and then, that is it. And then, <laughs> then they think it's going to self-maintain itself. No, I'm 10 years into DevOps days and it's just as much work as it was day one. Finding the speakers, finding the venues, find, you know, the diversity of people, the diversity of topics, the different, all of it is work. You have to constantly update the community. You have to constantly run the Twitter. You have to constantly, it's a lot of work. So if you are committed um, to actually driving that community, I say, go for it. If you don't think that you have the capacity um, to continue that community in the long term or maintain the community in the long term, then I would suggest that you pop probably join a different community and tap into them in the areas that you can provide value. If it's speaking, if it's volunteering, if it's whatever, whatever the areas that you want to um, kind of get meaningfully involved in the community, you'd be surprised how much communities need the help. If they need, if it's the speakers that they need or the venues that you can offer, or, you know, the, the work that you can do, all of these things are really, really appreciated. So, and sometimes like a subset of a community is also something that's needed. So for example, if there's a certain topic that isn't covered in the community, I can give you an example of the StatsCraft conference. That's a subset of the DevOps conference. It's our monitoring conference. It's a very, very you know, niche subset. It's about a 200 person community. That's very dedicated, like I said, again, de dedicated, they love it. The people that are monitoring professionals on, in the subset of DevOps, they like this. But this was a, um, a subset of our community that was kickstarted by some of the people that were monitoring professionals. And they said, okay, we want something that's a little bit more focused literally on the monitoring, the metrics, the observability, and the things like that. And there were people that were willing to um, help build it and, and sustain it for an extended period of time. Um, so... Sometimes a community is looking to open a different kind of chapter or subset or domain expertise. And that's something that within a community that, that already exists, you can possibly lead, but then you also don't have to invent the wheel, right? You can actually have the greater um, kind of community to, to tap into and the people that are interested in that niche topic or that subset might be interested in joining kind of the way that Pi data grew out of the PyCons, uh, and, and other kind of communities that are a subset of, of well-known communities. Um, so that's something that you can definitely take uh, and, and do yourself. But my biggest advice is really just don't dive in head into, you know, into community if you don't think you can maintain it in the long term because people feel it. Um, like I said, that heart and soul is kind of that thing that drives community. If you're in it and you, you want to put your whole heart into it and you can drive it in the long term, it's this amazing, amazing opportunity that you can't even describe the network that you'll build and the people that you'll meet and the things that you'll learn. It's just really, really wonderful. Um, but it is work. There is that byproduct of work and you have to be willing to put in that kind of that effort. That's so valuable. I actually, I wanted to ask uh, the question about, uh, about the values that you, you will get, but you said it. Uh, and I was wondering, um, 
just one last thing about the about the communities so um say that you you, you talked earlier about the, the engagement part and you talked earlier about that mission that that sense of belonging so um and i i, I kind of asked you about what makes a good community but say that i'm just getting started <laughs> How do I keep maintaining it? How do I keep putting my, I mean, I want to keep my heart and soul into it. Let's say I'm, I'm motivated. I want to do it, but the people, they don't come. I'm waiting and I'm waiting. So what should I do? Okay. Uh, that's a great, good question. So there's two parts to that question that I want to actually tap into. So the first part is actually the work. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that burnout comes with running communities and you cannot do it alone. I really believe like when they say it takes a community, it really does take a community. So I would, I would suggest that when you choose to build a community, it takes a village to build a community. Know, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I, I would highly recommend you not go it alone, find a, a partner, some volunteers, some people that feel like kind of, this is a joint cause that you all meaningfully believe in, like all of the communities that I'm a part of. And this, oh, I, I really want to give a shout out to a very, very strong woman who's like my right hand in the communities I run, which is Hilaf Fish. Hilaf Fish helps mm -hmm. me drive my DevOps community uh, and the cloud native community in Israel. Without her, we couldn't do it. Another strong woman in tech and Julia Thub, another woman in, uh, in tech and she runs, runs with women in DevOps. And all of these awesome women behind this community are those peers of mine. They're also wonderful men, by the way, who I can't name them all, but Jeremy has Narek Zadi and a bunch of other people behind these communities. <laughs> it's kind um, of like the Oscar now. <laughs> I know. But uh, the reason I'm saying that is because you cannot run these communities alone. What we actually do is like we um, we each like take ownership of like, okay, so you're doing this meetup. I'm doing this meetup. I'm, you know, like, and every, and then you don't have to be on it all the time. You do mm -hmm. a, a meetup once a half year. Everybody takes one a quarter and you know what I mean? And, and that way you can spread the load, disperse the loads. So first of all, get friends and peers who believe in the same cause to be um, co-organizers with you in the meetup because you can't go it alone. That's the burnout side. So, and don't try to do it alone because really it is, it is a lot of work and then you won't enjoy it anymore. You'll find yourself that's constantly like in this rat race and, and it gets really, really hard. So if you want to enjoy the community that you're a part of, rally those wonderful people that believe in the same cause and do it together, that's one. Um, mm -hmm. And then there was the other half of the question was, um, if I build it, will they come? So first of all, obviously, um, in the same way that like kind of you would do a sort of POC or product market fit or kind of exploration uh, before you launch a product of some sort or, you, you know, you head down a certain path, I think the same is, thing is true for community. I mean, just mm -hmm. because it doesn't exist doesn't mean that it's community needed. market you know, fit. You know what I mean? Like it's not, I'm not saying like maybe you, you do feel you need that community, but I would certainly check if there are other like-minded folks like you who feel that that community mm -hmm. is really missing and would uh, want to take an active role in being a part of that community. Like I wouldn't just toss something out there and expect people to join if you didn't actually do the work to figure out if people would want to be a part of this community and would be willing to join events. And the other half of it is also kind of what, what you build, right? It has to be quality, right? Because um, people's most valuable asset is their time. And if they're committing to this community and they want to be involved in this community and they want to spend their time in this community, 
at the expense of other equally important things in their lives, then they have to be sure that they're deriving value. And whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're offering them, it needs to do that. So if you're going to create a community that is only like product pitches from companies, nobody's going to want to join the community. They want to come and they want to make sure that they're coming away with something. So it's either has to be some kind of learning value or networking value or, you know, or personal building, you know, career building. Um, or the network. Benefit, or then, yeah, there's so many things that can come mm-hmm. out of it, but they definitely need to be coming out with something valuable. And that's something that you have to curate and moderate and work on all the time. That's another part of the work. So the content needs to be high quality. The people that you bring need to be high quality. And all of these things together are what make a powerful community. But eventually all of these things together are also what drive the community. Nobody will want to come if the community content isn't good or the people that are there are not interesting or, you know, the network that they're building isn't, get, you know, moving their needle. So these are kind of the things, and and some of that work is inviting those people in or introducing them to your new community or doing the manual outreach. It's almost like lead gen in a sense, but it's community Mm -hmm. lead gen. And you have to- Asking them to to invite their friends uh, if they know someone in- in... Bringing high profile people or, Mm -hmm. or really strong domain experts and making sure that you're constantly bringing value to your community. Otherwise- People won't be, I, want to show up. You know what I mean? Definitely. I love that. Th- those advice are pure gold. So um, we'll wrap up. And I wanted to personally thank you for this fascinating episode. I, I've personally learned so much from you. I could listen to you speak for hours. And I hope everyone enjoyed it the same way as I did. Um, so thank you again. And see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. And I really, I want to commend you for the tremendous, tremendous work that you've done in this community and what you've built here. It's just phenomenal. It's to be a part of it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Aron. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks to everyone who joined in. We'd love to hear your feedback and your thoughts. Join us again at the Backstage Stories of Women on Stage. Visit womenonstage.net and follow us on social media.